Matthew 11 in the message, here we go. When Jesus finished placing this charge before his 12 disciples, he went on to teach and preach in their villages. John, meanwhile, had been locked up in prison. When he got wind of what Jesus was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask, are you the one we've been expecting, excuse me, or are we still waiting? Jesus told them, go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. I love this. The wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. And then he says, is this what you were expecting then count yourselves most blessed. I I taught on that a few weeks ago, so I'll move on a little bit. When John's disciples left to report Jesus, started talking to the crowd about John, what did you expect when you went out to see him in the wild? A weekend camper, this is why I love the message. A weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. Now, here's what's ironic about this. Jesus is standing there speaking. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the baptizer, but in the kingdom he prepared for you, the lowliest person is ahead of him. For a long time now, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. Listen to this. For a long time, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Looked at in this way, John is the Elijah you've all been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Okay, verse uh, 15. Are you listening to me, really listening? How can I account for this generation? This is almost like Jesus, Jesus could be speaking today and it fits perfect, but how can I account for this generation? The people have been like spoiled children whining to their parents, right? Sound like 2024. Um, We wanted to skip rope, and you were always too tired. We wanted to talk, but you were always too busy. John came fasting, and they called him crazy. I came feasting, and they called me a boozer, a friend of misfits. Now, we're going to spend a minute on this. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof, is, it, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I love that. Let me actually, let me see what this, this is in the in, in RSV. Where am I? Matthew 11. I'm winging it right now, so y'all just hang with me. But that's too good. Where am I? 20, okay. <clears throat> John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what NRSV says. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Okay? Or the alternate translation is wisdom is vindicated by her uh, children. In other words, what's real is what you see. Okay? As, as Eugene Peterson says, the proof is of the pudding is in the eating. Opinion polls don't count for much. Something just, this just really, really hit me. 
Um, and let me back up for a second. Are y'all you, you okay? Okay. Um, the people have been like spoiled children whining, whining to their parents. Uh, listen, listen to this, okay? We wanted to skip rope, but you were always too tired. We wanted to talk, but you were always too busy. I, um, to be honest, I've said this before, it sounds a lot like, and this isn't a, well, yeah, it is. It's a shot. Um, this sounds a lot like if you go to like Adventure or the zoo or whatever, um, we, have a, we have a generation of kids that are growing up with phones, um, which I, I, neither here nor there, except because of the fact that they're growing up with phones, it has created this gap of attention between parents and kids. So if you go to Adventure, uh, which I don't know why any of you that don't have kids would ever go there, but, um, but if you ever have kids, you go there. Or the zoo, the zoo. Um, when I was a kid, parents would go play with their kids. Today, parents go and sit on the bench and scroll through their phones while their kids go play. Do you see what, and this is literally what, the, this generation's been like, we wanted to skip rope with you, but you were too tired. We wanted to talk, but you were too busy. And then, because God is a father, we project onto God our experience with our father. And so, and I've been lucky to have an amazing dad, um, but when, when, these, when this generation of kids grow up, they're going to see God in the same way that most of us have seen God, which is God is distant, he's too busy, he doesn't have time, and you're going to start seeing this gap between our culture and the church begin to widen at an exponential rate, which it is. And it's all because of, if I'm being honest, it's all because of this. This, this is ruining. It's an amazing tool. Uh, let me be honest with you. Because if you're not doing this, well, I, I, did you know because of this right here in about two hours total? over the break when I wasn't working because of this and about two hours and knowing what I need to invest in, I paid off every bit of our debt except for our car. Right? Okay. Now wait, hold on. Now, and Christmas and everything. So this can be a great tool. It can also ruin you if you don't know what you're doing, so don't do that. All right? But, but if you're not careful, we'll, we'll be so distracted. I'm not even teaching this. We'll be so distracted with this that will miss what's happening in front of us. For those of you that don't have kids, it might look like this. Like how many of us, rather than have conversations with the people around us, are, are just buried in this, you know? And so I, 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 don't, I don't know, this, I'm not teaching on this, but I wanna encourage, let this, let this be a year where you, you allow yourself to sit this down, you know? Not a, you don't have to live on these. Okay, praise God. All right, so... Verse 20, next, Jesus unleashed on the cities where he had worked the hardest, but whose people had responded the least, boy, shrugging their shoulders and going their own way. Doomed to you, Coruscant, doomed to you, Bethsaida. If Tyre and Sidon had seen half the powerful miracles you have, they would have been on their knees in a minute. At judgment day, they'll get off easy compared to you. And Capernaum, with all your peacock strutting, I love this, you are going to end up in the abyss. Now, Capernaum was a great town. And I, sometimes I wonder what, what, what countries or cities or places that you could plug into some of these right here, right? With all your people. 
with all your peacock strutting, you're going to end up in the abyss. Okay? If the people of Sodom had your chances, the city would still be around. At judgment day, they'll get off easy compared to you. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls and spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Now, I just want to just point this out too. The doom to you stuff is to the religious leaders and the religious ones. Because they were the ones that saw the miracles Jesus was doing. It wasn't the sick. It wasn't the tax collectors. It wasn't the poor. It wasn't the sinners that saw Jesus doing the miracles saying, that can't be God. No, they were flocking. Did you hear about uh, Jimmy? He got healed. Let's all go. You know, it was the religious ones. I don't. I don't see this in Isaiah. You know, you know what I mean? I don't see this in the King or what? You know, I mean, it was the religious one that when they see something happening before their eyes that they have no language for leading up till this point. And the irony is, is they're also supposed to be preparing their hearts for a Messiah that's going to come do something that's never been done. But as they see this, it's the religious spirit that sees the work of the Lord and says that can't be God, okay? Because I want to make that clear because sometimes we can read this chunk and we can start placing in here, oh, well, it's all the sinners and it's all the bad people that are rejecting Jesus. They're all flocking to Jesus. It's the ones that think they have it all figured out that are saying that can't, that can't be God. And that's why when you read things like, if the people of Sodom had your chances, the city would still be around. He's speaking to the religious spirit, essentially saying, you're making decisions that Sodom made better. I mean, this is huge. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. I'll read it one more time. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, same group of people, but you spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Last few verses. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. Okay, so now he's speaking to the people that are around him, sinners, tax collectors, whatever. He speaks tenderly. The Father has given me all things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the Father the way the Son does, nor the Father, excuse me, no one knows the Son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then he ends with this. Okay, remember what he says. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. What is it? Here it is. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So now that I read the whole thing, you see how this is pieced together, 
right? It starts with John's disciples coming saying, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for? And Jesus says, if you're waiting for somebody that has told the wretched of the earth that God is on their side, then absolutely you're blessed because it's the one, okay? Then he starts speaking about uh, no one in history surpassing John, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John, etc. And he's speaking this to a dual crowd, two groups of people in the crowd, the religious leaders who are there so that they could find proof to you know, kill this man. And then you have all the, the, the wretched of the earth that are around and they're there to receive something that the religious leaders refused to give them, but they were designed to give them. They were in place to give them, right? Um, even the old law required that the Levites and the people that were over the temple, the religious leaders, they were required to be the ones through which the grace and blessing of God flows through. And they had instead become those who created a blockade between the haves, the religious ones, and the have-nots, everybody else, okay? So Jesus comes and he's speaking to both of these groups of people and he starts to say things like, you know, uh, the blind see, the lame walk, all that's quoting Old Testament scripture. But then he gets to the end and he says in the message, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. And he's starting to pull this group of people who religion has rejected close. And that's making religion who's rejected this group of people really highly uncomfortable. And that's when he goes into the doomed to you, Coruscant, doomed to you, Bethsaida, if Tyre and Sidon, et cetera, et cetera. And what he's saying is, is if, if those, if you read the Old Testament, if those towns had seen what you see, they would have known what they were seeing, right? Which is a shot because that's all the, the Old Testament stories that the religious leaders are using to reject this group of people, Right? Let's reject those who live in certain lifestyles because we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know it. And you're living the same way, right? Okay? Now, that doesn't, Jesus is not coming to say, you can just do whatever you want. But, but you understand, they're, they're, we're not talking about morals. We're talking about a father, God, bringing his kids home, Right? And it wasn't dependent on what we're doing well or else Jesus would have never been incarnate because he was incarnate while we were still sinners. So it was a decision of the father to say, I'm done living apart from my kids. It's time to come home. Incarnation. Now, when Jesus starts to teach, the religious spirit who is that, that's built on this us and them mentality starts to kick and scream and get really uncomfortable with the fact that he's coming to get the kids that they thought he was coming to reject. And so once he clears the floor and begins speaking to the ones that are drawn to the God of creation that is in the DNA of every single human being, when they're drawn to him, and he finally clears the floor of what he's here to do, he begins to speak the very things that father, son, and intimacy and knowledge is made of. And as he speaks this, this is what he says, okay? So he's just taking a sledgehammer to religion. And then the first thing, are you tired, worn out, and burned out on religion? Are you burned out with trying to live up to the standard that you can't? 
Are you burned out trying to live up to all of this stuff that they told you you had to live up to? Are you tired? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Can you imagine this group of people? You know what I mean? Are you tired of that? Come with me and I'll give you your life back. Let me, let me give you a little bit of a review real fast and then I'll get into what I'm gonna talk about. Um, 2024 is our seventh year as a church. For over six years, we have introduced every week a new old path that's been broadly neglected by most of Christendom for years, decades, maybe centuries. But that path is a commitment to just one thing. It's more of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And along the way, there have been absolutely outside temptations of, of brilliant ministry minds to move ever so slightly to the right or to the left, to sprinkle in some production or numerical success so that religion can approve of what we're doing. And ironically, a lot of those same brilliant minds didn't last very long because when numbers lose their luster and platforms are taken away, we find what we're really worshiping, which is typically the work of our hands. We could be farther along down a path by now if we just did blank. But distance and speed down a path have never been our pursuit. It's, we've, we've never been a church that's pursuing distance and speed down a path. Our pursuit has always been the path. And I personally, as a shepherd, I'm not concerned with how long it takes us and I'm not concerned as much with who goes with us there, to be frank, though I want everybody to go with us there. But I care about simply being on the right path. Jesus tells us himself in Matthew 7, 14, that the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and there are few that find it. The road that leads to life is hard because it requires rest and rest does not naturally come to us. Rest is an enemy of our normality. Rest is fueled by dependence. Work is fueled by control. So it seems at first wrong to have a ministry that has a sole aim of God. Shouldn't we be aiming at the lost? Right? Shouldn't we be aiming at... Uh, Columbia transformation? Shouldn't we be aiming at bigger and more and campuses, etc.? Do you see this? Shouldn't we be growing a brand? Shouldn't we reach more people on social media? It seems at first wrong to have an aim that is solely the Lord. But was it not Christ that said, I, when I am lifted up, speaking about the cross, I will draw all men to me. Right? And so ironically, in aiming at lifting him, the benefit of that, what, and if we never got the benefit, we still aim at it, but the benefit of aiming at him is that we live in rest 
And production happens at a greater level than if we ever aimed at production. I contend we're doing all of the stuff I just said by having the sole aim of one thing. And I know this is a review, okay? I know this is things we harp on all the time, but it serves an important purpose to remember why we do what we do before we talk about what this year will hold for us, okay? I have many dreams for this year. My primary dreams for us this year revolve around us having a permanent home. This year, that is my dream for this year, okay? Are we gonna do that by working hard to find a permanent home? We might. But I believe the more excellent way is us stewarding the dream and allowing the Lord to bring us to the place where green pastures are waiting for us. So we're gonna do things like, you know, for example, have a balanced budget. We're gonna look for great deals on property. We're gonna encourage people to give and give ourselves, etc. But we're not gonna lie to ourselves and think that we can make those dreams happen if we try really, really hard. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails, Proverbs 19, 21. Therefore, I believe we're called to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and then we are promised that everything else will be given to us within that one pursuit. Amen. So with all of this in mind, I believe this is gonna be the year that we find out what we're made of as a church. When I was praying um, at the end of last year, leading into this year, I, I kept hearing that phrase in my spirit. This will be the year that we find out what we're made of. And it's different because every year you think you're going in I, I would, I, man, I, if I was a betting man, I'd place so much money on the fact that there are at least a hundred in this city series happening right now that have the word vision in them somewhere, okay? So you come into the year and it's like vision, vision, vision. This is what we're gonna see. This is what we're gonna do. This is our plans. And those things are great. I, but I, I really think this is gonna be the year that we find out what we're made of. And I, it's really important because um, we can get to the place where, we, where we, we start to not lie to ourselves, but we start to fantasize what's really on the inside of us. There's, there might be things on the inside of us that the Lord still needs to remove. And we'll, we'll get into this place where we're you know, reading our Bible every day and we're giving and we're praying and we're telling people about Jesus or whatever. And we'll, we'll start to almost cover up the things that we know the, still, the Lord still needs to do in us, okay? I think this is a year where we find out the truth of what we're made of so that we can become what we're made for, okay? So look at this passage in Matthew 11 again. In verse nine, I'm gonna walk through this. Verse nine, it calls us to reorient what we expect around what Jesus is doing in the earth. So the first way that I believe we're gonna live in rest this year is in our expectations, expectations. Now, I've grown to hate the idea of expectation in recent years. I, I, I hate the way that this is used because it's become a mantra to manipulate and twist God's arm to do what we want. So we say things like, and and. In, a, in the right way, this is true. God will do what we expect. God will meet us at our level of expectation. Sounds good. 
Here's the problem. What do we expect? And even deeper, why do we expect that? So this is how I grew up, so I'll just start with this. For charismatics, great people, I'm one of them. We expect high energy, loud activity. And so because of this, we expect God should move in a way that is energetic and loud and active. But what if God wants to move in contemplation? As he has the majority of church history, by the way. Well, then you have an entire group of people expecting something of God that God is doing the opposite of. And when God begins to move in a, in a different way than what we expect, we believe God's not moving at all. I mean, people will literally leave churches because God's not meeting their expectation and God is absolutely moving. Do you see this? Likewise for, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum, for Baptists, okay? This is a not, this is true, okay? The expectation is typically, you know, very rigid religion, committees, horrible theology and doctrine, no moving of the spirit, a nice box that everyone is comfortable with, right? Again, it's not a knock. It's just true. Terrible theology. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, but what if God wants to move in it, for example, in extended worship and prayer? Now, again, you have another entire group of people who are expecting God to do something that once again, God is doing the opposite of. I mean, what if God is moving actively and in a really transformative way in the earth right now. How many times have we heard, how many times have I said, man, we really need the Lord to move, right? In the earth. Do you see what's happening overseas? You see? And this week, I just, I don't know, I, I made the mistake of watching the news. And, you know, but you, you just start to wonder, and this is me this week, what if God is moving? It isn't like God to sit back and be completely passive as the world tailspins into oblivion, right? I mean, we've made it through World War I, we've made it through World War II, and here we are, okay? So we, we have these expectations of what God will do based on what we think God should do, and this is why I believe the whole expectation thing can get real sideways real fast. What if God wants to do something for you this year that's completely different than what you could imagine God is going to do for you in this year right now? Is that okay? Do you get to the end of the year and say, well, boy, God was really absent in my life this year? You know? I mean, I, when we started last year, I was not picturing us getting to the place where we leave that building, move to a place where we're setting up and tearing out every day, which I know y'all love. You know, I actually do, I like it, but you know, that, I'm weird. So uh, I told that to Jordan this morning. She said, we were talking about something and she said, yeah, but you think like this. And I was like, yeah, and I'm weird, you know? So like, that's not the normal thing. Um, but 
I never dreamed that we would start the year in a building, move to set up and tear down, experience, you know, different things that we experienced. That wasn't my expectation. But, but I cannot kid myself and get to the end of the year last year and say, well, God wasn't moving. God wasn't working because we didn't find a permanent home that was paid for and somebody write us a six-figure check to pay for it. Maybe we weren't ready for that. That's okay, you know? So I have to live in a place where I solely expect God to do one thing, which is simply be God and be present. And Romans 8, work all things together for my good and nothing more and nothing less. That's it. That doesn't mean we don't have faith. It doesn't mean we don't, exp- it doesn't mean we don't dream. It just means all of that lives under a place that it can move and shape and be formed and be taken away and be added to based on what we see God doing because we know and believe that what God is doing is much better than what we would do if we were in control, you know? And so I have dreams, I have visions, I have goals, but all of that is subject to change with a word from God. You know what I'm saying? And all of those dreams and goals and visions and all that stuff is now all rooted in what I know to be true about God, right? And so it's the same with our theology. We can get rigid in our expectation and God move another way. We can be rigid in our theology and how we think about scripture and God, et cetera, and God start to move in another way. And if we don't have the, fl- the pliability and the flexibility, I'm not saying moving in her- uh, heretical territory. We don't move in heretical territory. If y'all know me enough, you know that to be true, okay? We move far away from it. Here's the irony. The further we may move away from heresy, it seems like heresy because we've lived in heresy for so long, okay? But... As we're moving into deeper truth, deeper knowledge of the Son of God, there's gonna be things in 10 years that we look back and correct that we say today. That's okay. We're all growing and moving, but we're living, same with our expectation, our theology. We're living under this place where we live by the word of God alone. And yes, this is a word from God, but I'm speaking about the word of God, Christ, okay? When John is describing the word of God, he's not holding a King James Bible, okay? He's speaking to the son who is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the logos, the reasoning of God. So as we move into the place of rest, we're living with open hands saying, however you need to move, whatever you need to do, however you need to do it, and in whatever timing you need to do that in, it's okay and I submit to that. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay? So the second way that we rest is letting go of any part of us that is ruled by the opinions of others. Fear of man. This is something that I really struggle with, if I'm being honest with you. My whole life, this has been my biggest struggle. If y'all know me, you know that. Okay? You would think, I don't give a flying you-know-what about anybody's opinion. And I'm about 99% there. But there's still 1% of me, there's still 1% of me that can be, if I'm not careful, paralyzed by one person's opinion of what I do or say. And maybe that's just me. Okay? And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful... We'll confuse our fear of other people's opinions for God's voice of direction. We'll put more weight 
into the fear of letting people down or what other people might say or think, then we will the voice of our creator speaking what we know in our bones to be true. Before you know it, speaking from experience, before you know it, you're making decisions for your life of which you only have one. You make decisions for your life, the only life that you have, to appease anyone but yourself and your God-given purpose. Here's a really important gauge that God has given us to know what our purpose is and, what, and, and this is what it is. This is where our emotions, when they're actively firing in the right cylinders, all on the right cylinders, this is when they become really key for us, okay? If you ever hear like, you know, don't listen to your emotions. You, you, you need to listen to your emotions, okay? You just don't need to let your emotions rule over you. But your emotions are really important. Read the Psalms. David needed therapy. You know what I mean? So hopefully he's, he's getting some. Um, I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, he actually probably did need therapy. But um, here's a really important gauge for us to know whether or not we're living in our God-given purpose. What makes us happy? What, like, what makes you happy? Somewhere in that answer is your purpose. For example, what makes me happy, primarily, if you know me, is spending time with my family. Uh, that, uh, there's nothing on this earth I love more than me and Jordan and Veda, and then, of course, our extended family outside of that too. But for us, like this, we've done this week, we've put together her swing set from Christmas, and we, we've done nothing but just play and hang out and just do stuff together. You know what I mean? And it has given me life. I, I love it. Um, me and Veda took a couple of hours yesterday and just went to Flight Deck and played in the arcade and then got kava, which I love because it's all vegan, and, um, or most of it is. And, uh, you know, but it's just like, and, and we just talked, and she's at that age now where she actually talks and has like real conversation, real life conversations. You know, it's not just, you know, I did this with my Barbies or whatever. This, I mean, these are real conversations that she's having, you know? And uh, two nights ago, we sat, two, night, two or three nights ago, me and her sat, and I kid you not, we probably, it had to be an hour and a half, and she just talked and talked and talked and talked, and I mean, just nonstop. And I was just listening, and I'm like, this is, the, this is probably the best night of my life. You know what I mean? And I'm just listening, and she's just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. You know, did you know my favorite ride at Disney is this? And I mean, just like, just whatever comes to her mind, she's just, you know, and I, I mean, I was just like, that gives me life. That's my purpose. This is what I'm made for, you know? So it's that, it's being with my family. And then the other thing that gives me so much joy is, is just simply teaching scripture. I love it. So my purpose is to be a husband and a dad and a teacher of the church. It makes, it makes me happy. I wake up early in the morning every day, except for nights that we stay up all night and build a swing set. Um, but other than that, I wake up early every morning and spend hours studying and reading and praying and that, it makes me happy. I love it. But most of you in the room would probably hate getting up super early in the morning and reading and studying for hours. And that's okay, because that's not your purpose. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're not supposed to be what I am and I'm not supposed to be what you are. 
At the same time, me and Trent had conversations about technology stuff this morning, which I do love technology stuff, but I don't have a clue of some of the stuff that he's doing, and yet he loves that. He's finding his purpose in it. You know what, you see what I'm saying? And so what, what, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll start to make decisions with our lives to do things that we know will please people around us that does not please us, okay? That does not hit that part of us that we know we're made for. And this is what it says. Opinion polls don't count for much. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Let this year be the year that we as individuals and a body only care about the spoken word of God to us and let every other opinion fall away. That is the most difficult thing I could ever do with my life personally. Very difficult. But if we could do that, we would find such a rest in the fact that we've already eternally and radically been approved by the Father and that's all that matters. The other half of this, before I move on to my last point, the other half of this is that we also can't be the ones who form the opinions that speak against what God has spoken to each other. It's one thing to not listen to the outside opinions. It's a whole other thing for you to be the outside opinion. Gossip, deceit, doubt, manipulation, distrust, etc. All of this stuff that unfortunately is rampant in a lot of the church is all amplifying the very voice that I just spoke about us trying to silence. In rest, we both let opinions from others die and we cease being the opposing voice to others. Does that make sense? I mean, it's gotta make sense, it's pretty clear. Okay, finally, the third way that we rest, last one, is by learning, as it says here, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, or we could call it pace, P-A-C-E, pace. We learn to live in rest at the pace that God sets. We learn to stop forcing things in our lives. We stop questioning the speed at which we are moving and instead simply enjoy the process. We trust the story that God is writing with us and for us. Many of you, myself included, have been going so fast sometimes that we have no time to live just in the moment. I said this in worship. We are called to slow down. We're given the permission to slow down and know that our life is not our own. Sabbath is a, is a big part of this, okay? But I wonder if this year we could dare to move Sabbath from a day to a life. I, like I, what if this could be the year where we stop aiming? It's a good aim. I'm gonna take one day and it's gonna be a day of Sabbath. That's a great thing. Good rhythm, awesome thing to do. But I wonder, and this is what Hebrews calls us to, if we could take that aim of a day of Sabbath and allow that to do what it's supposed to do, which is transform us into a life of Sabbath, okay? That does not mean we don't work, we don't you know, do anything, we just sit around and watch Netflix, okay? Right? Or Disney Plus if you're at our house. That, that's not what that means. It, it just, it simply means we live rest. 
I can be active and at rest at the same time. Like right now, as I'm teaching you, I'm very active. I'm talking all this stuff, and yet I'm very at rest. See what I'm saying? So what if this could be the year that we slow down, that we just simply sit in the moments that we are given. We're not promised tomorrow. What if we could live in those moments and move from a Sabbath day to a Sabbath life? That's what verses 28 through 30 says. Are you tired, worn out, burned on a religion? Come to me, get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll teach you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I don't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live free and light. It's always been fascinating to me that Jesus, Matt, you can come up here. It's always been fascinating to me that Jesus had three years of ministry and yet was never in a hurry. He, the, the word becomes flesh. He spends the overwhelming majority of his life building tables. What? If you, right, just, this is a bad game to play, but if you're a God, okay, and you're like, I've got 33 years, I'm gonna save the world. The moment you become a talking and walking child, you're, uh, if it's me, I'm miracles. I'm turning things into different things. I'm just, you know what I mean? Just like bam, 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 bam. And you have Jesus for 30 of the 33 years building tables with his dad. So normal that when he actually starts to do his ministry, I said it like, uh, whatever, a couple weeks ago. When he actually starts to do his ministry, that becomes a barrier for people. Isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that the carpenter? 30 of the 33 years just living. And then in the three years, what do we see in the gospels? We see Jesus frequently sneaking away from the people to pray. We see multiple accounts of when Jesus is asleep. We see multiple accounts of when Jesus makes time for individuals and meals and celebrations. And at no point is Jesus in a hurry. He lived for what came at him moment by moment and he still in doing that transformed the cosmos. And I wonder if we could be content building tables if that's the key to transformation in our world. Maybe it's not big ministry. I think big ministry is fine, whatever, you know, but maybe the answer to our world is things going from big ministry needs to make it happen to me being content where I am. And that seems, you, you see what I'm saying? That seems so simple that even as I'm saying that, maybe somewhere deep down on, in a lot of you, you're saying, yeah, but what about, are you saying we shouldn't? And it's that, that, that's what he's saying. Is, did he not say this? Get away with me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythm. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you 
keep company with me, you'll learn to live free and light. if, If we could be content to live at God's pace with our careers, with our relationships, with our life, and with our ministries, if we could learn to live at God's pace, we would cease being so worried and tied up in knots about things that really don't matter. You can't see God in the moment if we're speeding through the moment to get to the next thing. We're called to be still and know. Take what comes at us and embrace it. Let me, let me just look people in the eyes and genuinely care about what they are saying to you. How uncommon is that? If you have a conversation with, with uh, younger people today, most of the time, the whole time they're talking to you, they're, they'll look away, right? And honestly, most of that's because of this. It, it really is, like scientifically. But, like, but a lot of it is we're so busy. It's like, hey, I'm glad you're talking to me right now, but like, I, I gotta go, you know? And what if we just stopped, looked the person in the eye, they could be talking about something that you have no clue about, But just in that moment, enjoy the conversation and the company of this other human being. And if your phone rings, just let it. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, put when you wake up in the morning, what if you, instead of waking up and just, you know, straight at it, what if you woke up in the morning, stepped outside and took a deep breath of cool air? while we have it, huh? What if you are, uh, our cat, okay. I wasn't gonna use our cat because that's weird, but, um, but as I said earlier, I'm a weird guy. So um, every morning our cat has this habit of we have a back door uh, that has a glass you know, part of it where you can see outside. So every morning our cat first, she'll come and scratch on our door until we wake up, I wake up. Luckily, I get up early anyway, so. Um, and then she wants us to go downstairs. As I start reading, she'll sit on my Bible. So we'll have to play that game for a little bit. And, uh, but then after we play all that and she's tired of that, she walks over and I kid you not, for hours, we'll sit at our back door and just look outside. This, I mean, literally, like she'll just look. She'll look around, she'll watch birds. If a bird flies past the window, she's like, you know, and just like, but... <laughs> You know, or if a squirrel happens to walk up our deck and walk up to the door, you would think it's like the end of the world, whatever. Um, But she's just in that moment. And I'm like, I know this is a cat. I know this is dumb or whatever, but like nothing else matters. She's just enjoying the morning. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, as, as crazy as this sounds, I don't, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't do that very often. You know, I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. And we've been given this gift of a creation that is calling out and reminding us of who we are and who our God is. When you see a bird fly and pick up a worm and then you remember the verse, are you not worth more? They neither toil, look at the flowers. They neither toil or spin or work their way and yet they are clothed in greater splendor than Solomon. And you're watching this and you're seeing God at work. And then, because we never witnessed this, 
we live our lives thinking that God isn't moving or God isn't speaking or God isn't doing, and he is. We were just too busy to see it. So slow down. Enjoy your first sip of coffee before you rush into your day. Invite someone to dinner or lunch without an end time. See where it goes. I know this is like, I hate this. I, I hate Ted talky stuff. So yeah, you know. But I think this is huge for our spirit. Your soul is at rest when you feel permission to simply be and know that everything else will be taken care of because it will be. And if it's not, it probably didn't need to be taken care of anyway. So 2024, I believe, is gonna be the year of rest for us. Seventh year, Sabbath, seventh year, year of rest. Um, let me pray. Y'all bow your heads with me. Lord, we honor you today. I thank you that you are a God that reminds us, even through a switch in a calendar, you, reminds us that, you remind us that you're making all things new, that you have made all things new, that you've wiped the slate clean and we have a new opportunity to be because of the incarnation. And so God, I pray that this year we'll take that opportunity that will snatch it before it goes by us in the moment. We'll take hold of it and we'll just see where it leads. Even us as a church, many are the plans in a church's heart, <laughs> but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God, I thank you for every person around me right now. I, I take this church for granted sometimes when I get too busy when something difficult, a difficult situation comes up. But Lord, I'm, thank, I'm thankful for every person in this room. I'm thankful that you have walked with us, that you've been with us, that you've carried us when you needed to, that you pushed us when you needed to. But you are 100% not passive in what is happening in us. You are active, very active. And I pray that we can see it today and live at rest in your name. Amen.